The last page has been turned on my most recent read, and for the second time in as many weeks, I am talking about a book that I have just finished. Admittedly, it did take me nearly a week to read in between picking up other books, but on reaching the last third, I had to force myself to put it down so I could actually go and do my day job. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I delve into my first dark academic fantasy novel and attempt to dig deep into the secrets that parents, friends, siblings and colleagues are keeping from each other in the debut novel from Emma Tersh, Ink Blood Sister Scribe. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Oh, and this week it's actually my three-year anniversary, so yay to me! Seriously, applaud here because I'm going to silently... admit that as the week started I wasn't actually sure what book would be the next one I pulled from the shelf. I probably spend more time deciding on what I want to read than actually reading on some days. However, I found myself again drawn to my shelf of beautiful sprayed edge books because they are lovely to look at. And I can be honest in admitting that in most cases, I was drawn more to the covers than anything else. Though my first temptation was And Break the Pretty Kings by Lena Jong, I eventually moved a few books along the row. And when I stopped, my fingers were resting upon Inkblood Sister Scribe. Some books should never be opened. Joanna Calate lives alone in the woods of Vermont, the sole protector of a collection of rare books, books that would allow someone to walk through walls or turn water into wine, books of magic. Her estranged older sister Esther moves between countries and jobs, constantly changing, never staying anywhere longer than a year, desperate to avoid the deadly magic that killed her mother. Currently working on a research base in Antarctica, she has found love and perhaps a sort of happiness. But when she finds spots of blood on the mirrors in the research base, she knows someone is coming for her and that Joanna and her collection are in danger. If they are to survive, she and Joanna must unravel the secrets their parents kept hidden from them. Secrets that span centuries and continents and could cost them their lives. When Abe Calate dies on his front lawn with a book in his hands, it sets off a series of events that put both his daughters, Esther and Joanna, in mortal danger. Esther has been living out of a suitcase for more than a decade. On the anniversary of arriving where she is living, she packs her things and leaves for somewhere else. She is careful to put down no roots and protect herself from developing feelings for anyone. However, in Antarctica, things are different. For here she has met Pearl, and it's obvious to anyone who is looking that they care for each other. But when Pearl's life is put in danger with the arrival of someone who wants to harm Esther, it's clear that she can't 
dare to stay where others are at risk. In London, Nicholas seems to live in the lap of luxury. A ward of his uncle Richard following the death of his parents in a car accident, Nicholas is a valuable asset, a magical scribe whose blood is worth more than gold to the magical world, as it is the source of the spells. As a boy of 13, he was kidnapped and while held captive, he lost an eye. Ever since that moment, he has been kept as a captive in his uncle's home, which is also the location of the largest magical library in the world. His bodyguard and companion, Collins, is hiding something, but under a serious magical NDA that Nicholas himself wrote for his uncle, he is unable to reveal any of his secrets or anyone else's. Joanna Calate has been living alone in her family home since the day her father died. Her mother, Cecily, is banned from the premises and every day at the same time, Joanna has to reinforce the wards that protect her home from being discovered. Joanna has no idea why she has to maintain this routine, but as the final wish of her father, as he lay bleeding out on the lawn, she has ensured that it is done. She has never lived any life outside the home and is almost terrified to do anything differently, though she doesn't know why. But something is building behind the scenes and these four people are going to be drawn together whether they like it or not. Someone is doing their best to draw them out and expose their secrets for their own dark purposes. Nicholas is so used to doing what he is told that he continues with his day-to-day life, seemingly unaware that there are things going on beneath the surface at the library, until his uncle's assistant, Maram, leads him and Collins to a mirror that shows him the attempted murder or abduction of Esther in Antarctica. After this, he knows that he needs to get away, but he is kept on such a tight leash and doesn't know who he can trust to help him. When he is offered the only opportunity he is likely to be given, he and Collins waste no time, and it is on a plane from Auckland to LA that he meets Esther, which, in turn, leads the trio to Vermont, and Joanna, and the book that killed her father, a book that calls to them and could spell the end of the library's reign over the magical world for good. As so many of my books are these days, this was an impulse buy that I pre-ordered on the Waterstones website. I'm not saying that I wasn't somewhat drawn to the story, which sounded intriguing, but it was more the egg yolk yellow sprayed edges with the bee and leaf motif that drew me in. As that was the case, I really wasn't sure what to expect from this book, especially as this is a debut novel that I had heard little to nothing about prior to making my order. The book actually arrived back in May and there it sat on my shelf waiting for me to get around to reading it, just looking good with my small but growing collection of special edition books with sprayed edges. Why am I reminded here of So many lines in so many films that tell the leading lady to just sit there and look pretty. I don't know, perhaps it is because that's what my books tend to do. In all that time, I didn't check spoilers or look on Goodreads to find out anything more about the plot. I just knew it had something to do with magic books and a mystery that spanned at least one generation of a single family. I know I make the excuse often... But being a mood reader does mean that I have to actually push myself into reading books I'm not in the right mindset for. 
And often that ends up leading to books staying half finished for months at a time. I promise this will be the last time I mention A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J Mass because I am starting to get annoyed with myself about owning a full series of books I truly have zero inclination to read. I didn't bother checking reviews of Inkblood Sister Scribe until I was starting to put this week's episode together because I really wanted to go into reading this book without any clues about the underlying plot. I legitimately went in completely blind. And as I am very quickly discovering when it comes to anything that is in any way fantasy, spoilers are a thing in the longer, more detailed reviews across most book platforms. I do like going in oblivious to underlying plots and not knowing what to expect means that everything will be a surprise. Whether that's pleasant or not is another thing entirely. Um, yeah, I've, I've been burned by that one many times. Of course, I wouldn't recommend that everyone takes the route that I tend to when reading a new book, even if it isn't a genre that they're familiar with. If you are particularly sensitive or need to find out whether there is a theme in it that you should be aware of before you begin reading, then absolutely reading a few reviews or checking out the trigger warnings, I believe, on Storygraph is definitely the way to go. Reviews are one thing I truly believe proves that everyone is different. Looking at the number of five-star and one-star reviews that people write for every book, it's that for every single lover, there are at least three people with vastly opposing views. Whether you're looking at a review for something by Jane Austen or Terry Pratchett, there'll be people who love it and loathe it with equal fervor. And who's to say that any one of them is wrong? Seriously, it's personal opinion. I am actually going to hide after I reveal this particular thing, but one of my one-star reviews on Goodreads is actually for Jane Eyre. Yes, Jane Eyre. I personally don't like it, and this is my personal view, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's a book that I unhauled earlier this year to make room for newer books that I actually want to keep in my collection. Anyway, what was I... Yeah, I got a bit distracted there. Um, I was talking about reviews. As always, I want to give you a balanced perspective because hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important. Sure, I may not share them and they may have found something entirely different in the book when they read it than I did, but that doesn't make their opinion or mine any less valid or wrong. This is how they felt about it. Of course, as I always say, I keep on, I always say a lot of things. Don't let any of these reviews, including mine, change your own view about something. Xenia found the book lacked a lot of the content that she was hoping to find and gave Inkblood Sister Scribe just one star. She said, I'm going to keep this review short because I do recognise why some people like this book. If you're into mysteries and you like being kept in the dark throughout an entire book, then this book is probably something you'll like. It just wasn't for me. My primary complaints are 
There is absolutely no character development, and I believe that all books are in a way character-driven, because what they're truly about is not the surface plot, but about how the external events force the character to take action and make a change within themselves and confront lies they used to believe. There's none of that in this book. The characters might as well have been puppets that were pushed around by external events. I did not care about any of the main characters and what happened to them because they had no agency and I didn't feel like I knew them at all. Only surface level stuff. They didn't actively do anything or challenge themselves. Whenever they did anything, it was because someone else had pushed them into it or because they were curious. It was so boring. There was no tension or internal dilemma. None. It was all just external plot. The dialogue was not great. Everything was he said, she said. It was too much tell rather than show. Toward the end of the book, there's a character that sums up the entire life of another character, which explains the entire book. And I hate when books do that. It's the easy way of resolving things. It seems that Xenia wasn't alone, and that's not uncommon when it comes to genres, especially ones like fantasy. A lot of the issues that she found when reading the book were ones that popped up a lot in the other reviews I looked through. I noticed that many mentioned a perceived lack of character development, structural issues with the writing style, and the use of he said, she said when the characters were talking, which is an issue sometimes with third person. But as with all reviews, they are expressing a personal opinion, and everyone has elements of writing that they do or don't like. It's interesting to see how many people shared the same opinions, but there were also those who liked this particular storytelling style. As I record this, there are 13,484 ratings and 2,344 reviews for Ink Blood Sister Scribe on Goodreads. 80% or 10,869 if you want to be specific of those ratings are four and five star, which is incredibly positive. While just 3.5% or 480 readers felt the book only rated a score of one or two. It hasn't attracted as many reviews as other fantasy novels that were released at a similar time, including Divine Rivals, which I have reviewed, and Fourth Wing, another book I've reviewed, and Lightbringer, which is one I haven't even spotted on my horizon. But over 13,000 ratings and reviews is nothing to be sneezed at. I think a lot of authors would be pretty happy to have that sort of attention from people across multiple platforms. From what I can gather, checking out multiple websites, Ink Blood Sister Scribe is a standalone. The book had something of an open ending, which I won't go into because of spoilers, but if this is where Tersh chose to end it, then I'm fine with that. This is the world that she created and she knew where she wanted to go with it. Overall, the book has a score of 4.11 out of 5 on Goodreads, which I think is good when taking into account the number of reviews and ratings the book has received. It has, as with many books that fill this genre, attracted a number of hate readers and those who compare it to other books that fill the dark fantasy and dark academia arena. However, the positive ratings from those who enjoyed the book and felt that it was well-written far outnumber those who didn't enjoy it, which is their right. 
It feels as though DNF readers are here to stay, unfortunately. Despite the fact that I personally have an issue with this particular type of reviewer, especially when they have chosen to read less than 20% of the book before leaving a review and a rating. Yeah, um, being honest though, the ones who leave a rating and a review when they didn't finish the book are preferred, for me anyway, to the rating and run readers. You know who you are. As I have already mentioned, there were a considerable number, over 10,000, readers who gave the book a positive review, so there were quite a few to choose from when I started to read through them. It took a while to find one that wasn't either incredibly long or adversely very short, but I did manage to find something that hit all the right points without becoming an essay. Christy gave the book five stars and described it as a must-read in her Goodreads review. She said, Inkblood's Sister Scribe is a smashing new debut from Emma Tersh in the dark academia genre. Magic is real and spells are cast from books, spells that are written with the blood and life of scribes. But the magic is getting rarer, books are limited and valuable, and this story follows two different families who have libraries to care for. Joanna cares for a small library of books, alone and isolated, following her father's wishes, whilst her sister Esther mysteriously cannot come home and is forced to move every 12 months or something bad will happen. On the other side of the world, the majority of the magical books left are housed in a giant library, controlled by a family who also contain one of the last known living scribes, Nick, allowing them to make and sell spells for massive amounts of money. But this puts their scribe in great danger, and he lives an isolated and controlled existence, whilst the act of making spells takes a huge physical toll. These two families are going to come together in unexpected ways to solve a thrilling mystery. Why does Esther have to keep running? Who is killing scribes? Twisty, dark and exciting. I loved it. A must-read for any urban, modern, fantasy or dark academia fans. I always try to go into a new book with an open mind, but that doesn't mean I don't want to re read reviews after I have made up my own mind. There is nothing more entertaining at times than seeing if someone else shares your views or really didn't enjoy something that you loved. Sometimes a reviewer will pinpoint something that niggled at me from the moment I opened the book, but for some reason just couldn't put my finger on. You know that feeling. I mean, everyone does. Something doesn't feel quite right, but you're struggling to identify it. That's what I love about reading through reviews, even if I don't agree with everything that's being said at the time. As I always say, though, everyone is different. And when I pick up a book, I'm not necessarily looking for the same thing as the next reader. The author could be much loved for them or someone they have heard only good things about. While I may be reading it for no other reason than it's been sitting in my bookcase for literal years. And believe me when I say there are some books on my bookcase that have been there unread for more than a decade. I could probably pick out about six right at this moment. As it's impossible to see exactly what makes a reviewer tick, we can't truly know what they were thinking about when they were reading the book, their motive behind picking it up in the first place, or what mood they were in as they finished the final chapter, if they actually got that far. Though, 
as we know, some reviews contain similar views or opinions, it makes sense that they aren't all exactly the same. So I will always advise that you take any and every review, even mine, with a generous pinch of salt. If you're looking for a book recommendation or an opinion on something you've just picked up, go to someone you trust or perhaps someone you already know has similar tastes. But there is no guarantee that any book you're recommended is going to be a top 10 read for you. Sometimes, though, you just have to take a chance. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Ink Blood Sister Scribe by Emma Tersh, completely spoiler free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? I'm going to come clean right now. For the first half of this book, I was very tempted to give up. Yep, I was going to DNF, but I wouldn't have rated it. I wasn't sure what the book was about and I wasn't warming to the characters as the viewpoint of the story just kept on changing. And at times, I honestly felt there was zero clarity. I felt as though I had come in somewhere in the middle of an event and some things just weren't getting cleared up as quickly as I wanted them to be. But then bear in mind, this is my personal view. No sooner did I start feeling as though something with Joanna was starting to make a little bit more sense than we were suddenly in London at the library seeing things from the perspective of Collins and Nicholas. There were also moments where I got so frustrated with this change of perspective that I actually started to dislike the characters I was reading about, especially Esther. I'm not sure why, but it took me a lot longer to warm up to the older Calate sister than it did to Joanna, as she felt strangely detached from everything else that was going on in the book, and I honestly don't know why. To be fair, the entire first half of the book, if not a little bit more, felt as though it was just a setup, the prologue, if you will, to the rest of the story. We were introduced to all the key players and their individual situations before we were pulled into the actual meat and potatoes of the book. I think that this particular method of storytelling has its place, but for me at least, it was rather frustrating when all I wanted was to get to the action. What exactly was everything leading up to? Admittedly, when we did get to the story, there were brief points where I felt that something was missing whether it was a little exposition that could have been given earlier in the book rather than explained as though a character was reading someone's biography, or just a little background into the magic system that we were working with. I have loved reading about magic since I was a kid. The first book I purchased for myself was all about a secret magical world that existed within our own YA urban fantasy style told in the 80s. So I've always enjoyed reading about different magic systems, everything from Harry Potter to Lord of the Rings, Stardust and beyond. Everyone tells the stories differently and even where similarities exist, they have unique story to tell. Inkblood's sister scribe is no different. Tersh has given us a world where the people who can hear and feel magic and there are those who can write the spells but not read them. The latter are the scribes from the title, and it appears that not only are they rare, but their very lives are at risk every single time they create a spell for others to use. 
We also have magical collectives and the organisation known as the library. Wow, when I say it like that, it sounds a lot darker and far more sinister than it originally appears to be. Most people think of a library as a place that loans out knowledge. However, Tersh's library is a place of secrets that not only intends to gather knowledge, but also hoard it. The magical collectives are something we find out very little about until the end of the book, though I don't think their unveiling could be considered a spoiler in my review. They are small groups of witches, often families, who have been creating collections of their own, protecting them from being swallowed up by the ominous library. I've talked about the magic, hopefully without giving too much away, so I should probably talk about the various characters that I struggled, at least initially, to care about in any way at all. After the death of Abe Calate in the prologue, a rather gruesome and definitely unfortunate demise, we are immediately taken to Antarctica where the oldest of Abe's daughters, Esther, is living, and it's cleared that some time has passed since her father died, though it's never really clear how long. Very quickly, we get a bit of background into the oldest daughter. She has spent over a decade moving from place to place, never staying anywhere for very long, and therefore never allowing herself to get too close to anyone. However, something different has happened during the last year, and she has opened herself up enough to develop a relationship with Pearl. Esther, initially at least, feels incredibly cold. There is no indication that she feels anything for the family she left behind, yet she has a strange bond with a mother she doesn't remember, always searching for ways to connect to a woman who died when she was a baby. She feels detached, and this makes it quite difficult to develop any feelings for her as the reader. I'm not actually sure if we're meant to feel any sympathy for her as a motherless woman who has been forced to leave her home and never return, partially because we're never actually, it's never made clear why she had to leave and never return. Because she doesn't seem willing to open up, this makes her even harder to understand. And what she may be suffering is almost sort of pushed to the back. Joanna is a very lonely creature. And despite the fact that she seems accepting of her lot on the surface, we do get to see behind her facade to a point, especially with the cat that keeps on coming and going and never makes it past the threshold, even though she's trying her best to make some kind of connection. Like her sister, she has some complex feelings towards her father. And though she is somewhat closed off because she has to be, we get to see her open up to new experiences as the book continues. I actually enjoyed learning this side of Joanna, despite the fact that the insights into her were still few and far between. I know that they are two separate and somewhat different characters, but as they were sort of written as a unit, I can't help thinking of Nicholas and Collins together. Not together together, but together as a, a cohesive character in some ways. Their chapters were probably the heaviest when it came to story content and also the ones that revealed the most story progression. We learned more when they were the focus than we did at any other point during the book, which I don't think is necessarily a good thing. 
That having been said, there were times when I had to go back and reread sections as I was sure that I'd missed something. It got quite annoying at times because I'd be reading something and think that I and come across a statement and oh, and then suddenly go blank and think, oh, did I miss something? So I'd scroll back a few pages and then find that I hadn't missed anything at all. It just hadn't been explained properly. Though both Joanna and Esther have rather sad backgrounds, Nicholas's life definitely beats theirs hands down when it comes to trauma. It's as though everything negative that could happen to someone was piled up and dumped on him so that the others could be somewhat left to have more simple lives in a strange way. He was kind of like the whipping boy. At least that's how I interpreted it. I know that this is probably drilling the book down to its most basic points. However, this is truly how I felt when it came to the characters. While Joanna and Esther had their fair share of sadness, it was nothing in comparison to their English counterpart, who is not only isolated, but also slowly being drained of his life force in order to carry out the whims and wishes of a family who claims to be doing everything for his own good, which was just self-serving beyond a point. I know that I've already mentioned I felt that the story was rather slow moving. The beginning especially felt as though it was more about establishing the world that Tersh has created than it was about actually telling a tale. We were introduced to the characters over multiple chapters that were broken up in a way that sometimes felt unnecessary. And then when everyone is finally positioned where they need to be for the real twist to be revealed and the story got going... The book was more than two-thirds done. I greatly enjoyed the writing, unlike some, and felt that the world was well created with the magical system brilliantly established and so well melded with the world that we didn't that we know it didn't feel out of place. However, I did feel that there were events that would have been better served taking place earlier in the book and others that were simply unnecessary to the progression of the plot. All of that said, when I reached the end of the book, I did feel as though it could be setting up for a sequel, despite the author and publishers both saying that it is a standalone. I guess in some ways I have grown so used to books being part of a series, even where unnecessary, see my review from last week, that I see sequels everywhere. Will I read anything else by Emma Tersh? This is her first book, and as it's only been a few months since it was released, I haven't heard anything about further works to be published. Admittedly, I was a little bit thrown when I did a quick search and saw that a novel called Ink Blood Mirror Magic was due for release, and then noticed that this was simply the original title of her debut. And I can, having read the book, I can see why that title was originally chosen. I think that I would likely pick up her next book as I do feel that she has great potential and despite the start of the book being very slow, the latter part was intriguing and fascinating enough that it kept my attention until I was finished. I did not DNF it. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. I would probably say that Inkblood Sister Scribe is more on the side of dark academia than straightforward fantasy. 
Though I do have a couple of Dark Academia titles actually on my shelves, I have not done more than skim a few chapters of any of them. Well, actually, apart from one which surprises me at being in this genre. So I could never claim to know much about what makes them popular, though I know they are an incredibly popular subgenre of fantasy. That said, if you are looking for start some Dark Academia titles, then a good place to start would probably be The Atlas Six and The Atlas Paradox by Olivier Blake. The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which I have read and didn't realise this would be classified under this banner, and the two most recent novels by Lee Bardugo, who wrote Six of Crows, which is one of my favourites, Ninth House and Hellbent. Well, September is well and truly in progress, and I am a week and a bit into my self-imposed book-buying ban. Luckily, I do have two subscription boxes currently wending their way towards my house, if the emails I received this week are to be believed, though I'm not sure I will be reading any of the books contained within before the end of the year, because my TBR is very large. I have, since putting the ban in progress, read my way through three of the books already on my shelves and also discovered that I had missed some books off the TBR when I wrote it down. So yeah, um, and that's, I can't blame that on bad maths. I can just blame that on the I purposely ignored them list, which isn't good. I have promised myself that I am going to read my way through 20 of the books I already own before I purchase any more. I think that's both a realistic number and one that I can stick to, fingers crossed. Though I did tell a colleague this week that I want to reward myself for resisting buying a new book. By buying a new book. Why do I keep on seeing books I want? I do still have my pre-orders to look forward to, but there actually aren't that many left on the list. And the one book I pre-ordered for September, a special edition of Circe by Madeline Miller, has already arrived and is currently displayed very nicely on my mythology shelf. I am now putting together a list of books that I wanted to buy my, for myself when the ban is over, and I am 20 books down. That will happen, I promise. I do have those nice new shelves to fill up, so I've got to do something. So if you have any book recommendations, perhaps a sci-fi author, fantasy author, or perhaps light-hearted romance you think I really need to try out, or maybe there's another genre you think I should add to my list, just not thrillers, go for it. Email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I will be sure to check it out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. I feel like I am forever apologising at this point, but I do promise a newsletter will be hitting your inboxes soon. Things have just been so manic that I've been having to choose between reading and writing, and reading is always going to win when the competition is that close. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. Remember, I've been going for three years, so there's a nice back catalogue for you to listen to. 
You can follow me on Instagram and threads as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews, and on X, formerly Twitter, as Being underscore Bookish, though I have to admit I'm not as active there as I once was. Or you can check out my website at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week. I'm on two book tours and I need to read the book for next week's episode. And another new book is calling my name. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.